Good morning. Would you please stand as you're able for the reading of God's Word? My name is Nathan Hendershot, and I will be reading from John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18 in the New Living Translation. In the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him, and nothing was created except through him. The Word gave life to everything that was created, and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. God sent a man, John the Baptist, to tell about the light so that everyone might believe because of his testimony. John himself was not the light. He was simply a witness to tell about the light. The one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. But to all who believe him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. So the word came, became human, and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. John testified about him when he shouted to the crowds, This is the one I was talking about when I said, Someone is coming after me who is far greater than I am, for he existed long before me. From his abundance, we have all received one gracious blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses, but God's unfailing love and faithfulness came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the unique one, who is himself God, is near to the Father's heart. He has revealed God to us. This is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. You may be seated. Some of you may have noticed uh, the difference between the reading that um, Nate gave and the words that were on the screen. Uh, there's two reasons for that. Uh, number one is a mistake, and number two was purpose. So <laughs> let's mix them together. I ask in particular that the NLT, the New Living Translation, be read this morning because I thought it shed a different kind of light on the truth of Scripture. But somehow, the mistake didn't get to the overhead. We didn't switch it to the NLT. What you saw on the screen was the NIV. I frequently do this in my study. No, I should say I always do this in my study. Whatever passage I'm looking at, I read in four, five, sometimes six, seven different translations to gather insights that one word might give me that the other translation does not. We're beginning a new series that will take us up until Easter, and the series is on the Gospel of John. In each four segments, we will break out certain parts of the Gospel of John. And the first part is the message of Jesus. 
For those of you who uh, wonder about how this thing called the Bible, in particular the New Testament, was put together, there's a lot of good resources that can walk you through that. Some of you may have been in an ACG that talked about how the canon was formed. If you haven't, I'm sure the opportunity will appear again for you to look at that. It's a fascinating process. There are many unanswered questions when it comes to how particular books were put together. Debate about who the authors were. In my mind, there's no debate about the Gospels. I think Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, their names reflect the authorship. Others have difference of opinion, and I respect that, though I disagree. I, I want to set the stage this way. I suspect that somewhere along in your life, you have encountered something like this. You have said either out loud or to yourself, oh, now I understand. That's what she meant, he meant, when she or he said such and such. Now I get it. I mean, I've, I've thought that a thousand times. That, that's what my kids meant when they said such and That's what my wife meant when they said such and such. That's what this circumstance meant when it happened to me. But more often than not, those moments come to us far past the event as we reflect back. So what we have today is the Gospel of John, which is a retrospective moment where John basically says to anybody who will listen, that's what he meant when he said dot, dot, dot. That's what he meant when he did dot, dot, dot. If you look at the Gospel of John that way, one thing will become clear. It's different than the other Gospels, what we call the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Let me frame it this way, in a very simplistic way. Matthew, Mark, and Luke tell what happened. John tells why it happened. It's not as though Matthew, Mark, and Luke are uninterested in why it happened, but the overwhelming purpose of John's epistle, his gospel, is to tell you why. So consider it that way. I, I told Adam when we were planning this service uh, ahead of time, I'm going to geek out a little bit, Adam. I just want you to know that. Um, because I try to go over the sermon as much as it has been developed by midweek. And one of the things I want to do right now is geek out just a little bit, okay? Some of you who aren't geeks will still appreciate this. What's the context of the book of John? Where did it come from? Why did it appear? Well, best we can tell, and of course... History is a little murky sometimes, so we only have certain sources. Best we can tell, 
the bishops in Asia Minor really were leaning into John to convince him to write his own gospel. It seems apparent that all of them knew about Matthew, Mark, and Luke. But they were leaning into the elder near the end of his life and saying to him, John, John, we have to have another description of the gospel. John, we need to know from your perspective what Jesus meant when he said. Now, I'm filling in a lot of gaps there, but what seems to be clear according to the historical record is that something like that happened. This gospel of John is written after the other three were far completed. As a matter of fact, it probably, again, dates are difficult, probably written between 85 and 95 A.D., which means this writing appeared some 60 years after the events transpired. The other Gospels were closer to the events themselves. But this Gospel is likely 30 years older than the first three. It was written especially, but more than just this, to the churches in Asia Minor. That's where John was. That's where the Gospel had taken off. In Asia Minor, now called Turkey, it had exploded, primarily because of the witness of the Apostle Paul. So John, speaking especially to those churches and to anyone else, describes the why of Jesus' activity and words. Here's another thing that's interesting to me, perhaps to you as well. John is especially unique in what he tells and what he doesn't tell. There's a lot of stories in the Gospels that don't appear in John. But on the other hand, there's a few very special stories that appear only in the book of John. For instance, the marriage at Cana, where he turns water into wine. Only John. The visit of Nicodemus at night. Only John. The encounter with the Samaritan woman, that's John. The raising of Lazarus, that's John. The washing of the disciples' feet. You realize how large these loom in our memory bank concerning the gospel? Only in John. The teaching concerning the Holy Spirit, which goes on for chapter after chapter, only in the book of John. And as we just read in what is called the prologue, John's gospel is the only one that doesn't include genealogies or birth narratives. It just jumps back before the beginning of Jesus's earthly existence and speaks concerning his eternal existence. In other words, before time began, this Jesus, says John, was around. Just one more thing I find interesting about the Gospel of John. He gives details 
to some of the same stories told in other Gospels that the other Gospels don't give. Just tiny little details. For instance, the feeding of the 5,000, it appears elsewhere. But nowhere else is it stated that the loaves were barley loaves. The bread of the poor. In John's Gospel, we see Jesus and the disciples row across the Sea of Galilee, Galilee and a fierce storm comes upon them. But only John says, after they had rowed for three to four miles, the storm hit. John also seems to be the closest witness to Jesus' death on the cross. And he's the only one who tells us that four soldiers gambled for the seamless garment that Jesus was wearing. He also knows, this is interesting, the exact weight of the spices that were used at Jesus' tomb. John's fascinating. But let's begin where John begins. In the prologue, before the beginning. He says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word. Seems a little bit odd just to use the Word, but it wouldn't have been odd to the people who first read it. The Word reminds them of Genesis chapter 1, when God spoke and everything came into being. When God breathed onto the waters and things came to life. John says, the word, that word was with God and was God. Of course, he's tying this to Jesus. He goes on to say that this word is the actual, shall we say, vehicle of God's power and God's presence in the world. This is consistent with the Old Testament all throughout. God's vehicle for power and presence was the Word. The Word of God. Word in the Old Testament had a deeper meaning than Word does for us now. We just think of words. But in the Old Testament, Word carried power. There's another connection to the word word that doesn't go back just to the Old Testament. But as we know the culture into which John is speaking, it speaks, even if he didn't intend it to, though I think he did, it speaks to a Greek culture. Because in the Greek culture, which is what Rome was a part of in terms of philosophical tradition, word the word had a connection to a contemporary understanding of life itself. Because to a Greek culture, logos, namely word, logos was the organizing principle for the entire universe. It was, in effect, logos the mind of God. So the soil in which Paul planted the gospel is this soil. 
The soil into which John speaks is also this soil. It is Hebrew. Genesis 1 is ringing in the ears of those who understand the Old Testament, but it's also philosophically attuned to the culture. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Now, whether or not John intended to be bicultural in his communication, we'll never really know. But no matter what his intention, his Word was bicultural. Why else might John have communicated in this way? To put it frankly, he wanted to set the record straight. Of all the big events in the world, you know that there are all kinds of theories concerning what happened, who said it, what they said, and what it means. The same thing is true of Jesus. Did he say it? What did he say? And what does it mean? So all kinds of various, shall we call them, heresies, false doctrines crop up around Jesus's sayings. And one of the dominant heresies that John seems to want to set straight is a heresy known as Gnosticism. Now we could go on and on about Gnosticism. I guess I'm still geeking out, aren't I? Um, but you're being very patient. But let me summarize Gnosticism this way. Gnosticism essentially said this. Matter is evil and spirit is good. Spirit is divine. Matter is human. Human is evil. Spirit is good. For that reason, they suggested that God could not possibly even touch matter because it would sully spirit. So if you think about that, what is being said is that God couldn't have created the world because the world is matter. How in the world did the world come to be, according to a Gnostic? It came to be this way, through a process of what they called emanations. So imagine for a moment, and then dismiss the thought immediately, that I'm God, okay? And as I stand here as God, there is a first row, a second row, a third row, a fourth row, all the way to the back of the sanctuary. If I'm God, according to the Gnostics, this emanation of God goes out, and the further it goes out, the weaker it becomes. The further it goes out, the less divine it is, until it goes out so far that it's pure matter detached from spirit altogether. So you guys on the back row, you're in trouble. (laughs) But you get the idea, right? That's what a Gnostic would have said. As a matter of fact, a Gnostic would have said, God didn't create the world. It was the emanation that was out in the furthest ring that was responsible for creating matter. Now, for those of you who know more about Gnosticism and want to critique it, just give me a break. 
because this could be a whole class, right? Understand the variations on it. But there's probably another heresy often associated with Gnosticism that John was speaking to. It's called Doceticism. Docetism is um, is a word that comes from Greek. And the easiest way to understand it is it means to seem, to appear. So a docetic would basically say this. Jesus was only human. Except he appeared to be divine. But he wasn't really human. He only appeared. He he wasn't really God. He only appeared to be God. How do you account if you're a docetist? How do you account for all the miracles of Jesus, for all the things he said? You account for it this way. The docetist said, at his baptism, God's spirit was poured out upon him in an unusual way, unlike any other human creature, so that we have Jesus. But he still only appears to be divine. He's thoroughly human. Into all of that, John speaks this message. So, with that background, let's just hear the words one more time of John chapter 1. And realize the contrast that he's painting. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Not a demiurge, not an emanation far enough away from God to be matter itself, but through him, all things were made. And without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines into the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So what's the message? John's message is completely different than those many voices. Jesus is completely God, he said, and Jesus is completely human. Both at the same time. This Jesus existed before all time and was the creator of the world with God the Father. This Jesus was also fully human and he suffered and he died. We might take it for granted, but we shouldn't. It's all over the scripture, and it's qualitatively different than every other religion in the world. It reinforces verses like this in Colossians 1.15. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. 
For in him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. And he is before all things. Or how about this as a reemphasis in Hebrews chapter 4, beginning in verse 14. Therefore, we, we have a high priest who ascended into heaven. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. This faith that John's talking about. Let us hold firmly to this faith that we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are and yet did not sin. So let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. That's the message of John. Right at the beginning and all the way to the end. Why is that important? What difference does it make? First, it elevates humanity to an eternal level. It means that your whole life has meaning. It means that you don't have to create meaning. It means that you don't have to find your purpose in something. You find your purpose in God himself. Because you were created for eternity. So that's the first thing. It tells us we were created for eternity. It elevates us in that way. It could make us boastful or proud. But the same truth also humbles humanity. Why? Because the same truth tells you that you need a Savior. You're not eternal on your own. Eternal life doesn't come from your good works or from following the law. John makes this clear by the time he gets into chapter 3 with with Nicodemus and the conversation. This life comes from God. It is a new birth. It comes from God when you follow Jesus. Third, these truths... First of all, they they elevate humanity. Second of all, they humble humanity. And third, they give us a picture of God. This is... This is stunning. And perhaps more than anything else, it grips my heart. When you see Jesus, says John, you see the invisible God. For the history of the world, including the authoritative inspired word of God in the Old Testament, people were longing to know what Jesus, what God was like. 
But in the coming of Jesus, for the first time, unequivocally, we see what God was like. You may struggle with your understanding of the Old Testament. And the Old Testament God being different than the God of Jesus. Remember this, they don't have the same material that you have. Their understanding of God was limited in an old covenant framework. They'd not yet seen Jesus. But now, with the coming of Jesus, the full revelation of what God is like is right here in front of us. If we didn't understand God as our healer, we do now. If we didn't understand God as love, we do now. If we didn't understand grace, we do now. Because when you see Jesus, you see God. And you know what you see when you see the picture of God? You're reminded that even though the world loves darkness more than light, as John says, in spite of that, which means that the world doesn't love God naturally, in spite of that, God continues to love the world. Is that unbelievable or what? Do you have any trouble loving those who don't love you? I do. God says, if you're against me, I love you. If you spurn me, I keep pursuing you. Because I am the God of Jesus Christ. Look at me and you'll find your Savior. Let's all of it again by saying this. I'm telling you these things so that you might believe and that by believing you might have life in his name. My friends, it is with this faith that we live. It is with this faith that we die. And it is with this faith that we are raised again from the dead. Thanks be to God for this indescribable gift. Now I want to do something a little different. Instead of ending with a benediction, I want to say that one more time. Thanks be to God for this indescribable gift. And then I want you, all of you together, to repeat after me, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Now, I know some of you are a little uncomfortable with shouting things out in church. But if you need inspiration, just listen to Deontay. He's with me. (laughs) Thanks be to God for this indescribable gift. Hallelujah. 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 Amen.